Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We're so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. Hey, so we've been in a message series. This is week number three of a, of a message series called Winning the War in Your Mind. Who knows that that's the starting point of all things, right, is, is our thoughts, right? That's where everything begins as a seed and, and ends up blossoming into something, whether it be productive or destructive, whether it be positive or negative. It starts with a, a seed of thought. And so who knows that it's so important that we win the war of our thought life and our mind, amen? And uh, there is so much that, uh, that the Bible and uh, Jesus himself goes in to discuss and talk about uh, about the mind and how important it is to win this battle. And uh, so we're in week number three. Uh, and uh, I just want to start by introduction saying that uh, for those that don't know, I, 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 my name is Steve and and uh, nice to meet you. And, uh, and I am a full-time salesperson. That's what I've done all of my working career. I've been specifically in the uh, interior decorating industry in the way of flooring, doing carpet, vinyl, wood, that sort of thing. And I started in that industry when I was, how old was I? 20, no, younger than that. Anyway, 1998. Gosh, I can't do the math. 22. In 1998, I started in flooring. And, uh, but you know, to be honest, it's, uh, that's the industry kind of I fell into, but I'm a salesperson. That's kind of my, my, my natural makeup and DNA. Uh, whenever I do those um, personality tests, I always end up in, what's the one where it's like persuader and those ones? Uh, that's, which is that one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, A-type. But like, uh, I, I love, I, lo- I love the, the, the relationship building, the solving a problem, the putting something together and seeing it come to pass. I love that. I love that process. I, I love the challenge of it. I love the challenge of, of sales. And, uh, and so I basically I've spent most of my adult life in the business of negotiating uh, contracts and agreements in the industry that I find myself in. But who, regardless of what you sell, you're trading in trust. That's what I, I realized. It doesn't really matter what you sell, you're trading in trust because nobody buys of someone they don't trust. No one is going to do business with someone they don't trust. It doesn't matter what, if they, they might have the most amazing product. If you, if you feel they're shady and dodgy, you tend to not deal with them. You will try and find another avenue towards finding that product or getting it from somewhere else because you don't want to deal with people you don't trust. Trust is such a big part of making and forming a deal and negotiating an agreement. And that's why uh, uh, rapport and, 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 and trust building is the first step in the sales process. So I've gone from being a salesperson to being a sales trainer. And when I moved down to Wellington, I became the sales manager for the Carpet Court um, franchise in the era, sorry, the, the company owned stores in the Wellington region. And so it was my responsibility to train and drive the sales team to success, right? To help them make sure that they were hitting their targets. If they're hitting their targets, then the business is hitting theirs. That was my responsibility. And so I had the, the great job of doing training, which I love. And, uh, but the, you know one of the frustrating things about training is that you can tell and help somebody, but you can't do it for them. Isn't that one of the most frustrating things? It's like, I, I want to give you all the keys. I want to help you with all the, with all the tools and, and set you up for success. But unless you, you know, it's the old saying, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them 
and drink. And, and, and so we had some amazing success stories in our team, but we also had a couple of uh, not-so-successful stories as people weren't really adopting um, the processes that would lead them to success. But trust is built at the beginning of a relationship, uh, and building rapport is so important because you people will buy of you if they trust you. And so that's so, so important. So my question for you, and I was thinking about this myself, have you ever made a deal or entered into a contract or even signed an agreement that later you regretted? <laughs> made a deal, maybe bought something or made a rash decision and thought, man, later I just regret that situation. I wish I didn't do that. I know I have. In fact, just recently, uh, for those that don't know, we have a four-month-old Vizsla puppy and uh and nothing is sacred the house is done we were just saying the, the, the couch is scratched to pieces and I thought it was going to be an outside dog that lasted all about 30 seconds anyway so now we've got this dog that's four months old six, 17 kilos doesn't know what to do with themselves jumps over everything bitey as all get out anyway he'll grow up to be an amazing dog in Jesus name but uh I, I and, and look I researched uh I researched breeds and I, I'm a hunter I enjoy hunting and uh and, and so I wanted a dog that might be able to come hunting with me, but that would also be a great affectionate family pet. I didn't want a small dog. We wanted a, a reasonably a large dog. And, but, you know, and, and we didn't want a smelly dog. We didn't want a hair, dog that dropped a lot of hair. We had some lists of things on our, you know, and we were looking for a breed. And, and, and the, the visual was like the perfect dog. I'm like, and so I, as soon as we knew we were buying this house uh, at the end of last year, we're like, right, I'm going to start re- finding breeders of this breed of dog so that we can, like, line up a puppy. Well, I started contacting Vizsla breeders, and I, I found this. Uh, I found a unique group of people. People, um, I, I think they must field a lot of phone calls, so a bit of grace to them. But when you ring them, you straight away feel like you're wasting their time. They weren't like they're not interested, and then they want you to jump through a whole lot of hoops. Like it's not good enough that you can send us a photo, you know, send us photos of your family, of your home, and give them a bit of a blurb about who you are. No, they need to come and meet you in person. You need to meet them, and, and which is not a bad thing. I guess they're protecting them. And but then the one said, oh, we don't, "You'll not choose the dog. We'll choose the dog for you. So you'll come to, you'll come, and, and we'll decide. No, you can't have that. You, that's the one for you." And it's like, okay, that's a bit unusual, and maybe that's what breeders do. Uh, one breeder said to us that if you decide to um, like hedge your bets and ring multiple breeders, I don't want to deal with you. So you've got to commit yourself to me, but I can't guarantee I'll give you a dog. <laughs> it's like, and so I found this just remarkably difficult. I found this whole process to me, and I'm like, and I came to the, I came to the conclusion that maybe I'm never going to get a Vizsla. Maybe it's just too, it's just too difficult. Like maybe this is just going to be a bridge too far, and in, in 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 New Zealand. And so I was on Trade Me, as you do, you know, kicking tires. No, that's not true. I had saved the thing for dogs and trade me. I was checking it out every day, just in case something came listed. And a, a GSP litter of puppies, German short-haired pointer litter of puppies, got listed on trade me. Okay, so it's not a Vizsla. It's kind of similar. It's like the Vizslas are like the Hungarian version. The GSP is like the German version. They're slightly bigger, slightly whatever, but it's like, you know, that probably would do, you know? And so, and the more I thought about it, I started convincing myself that that this, this visual thing's never going to happen. And if I, I could be waiting forever for this, pu- for this puppy that will never come, so we might as well just take this now. And I convinced myself to just take this situation now. So I rung the guy and said, we're keen. He said, here's the, what we've got. I said, we'll take that one there. Can you pay a deposit? I paid a deposit. And Bex, and I, and I was like, Bex is like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, you, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I'm impatient. I just want to get this thing. You know, I just, I've been waiting for it. I just want to get this sorted. Just get it done. And sure enough, three days later, 
on the hunting forum that I'm a member of, another hunter listed a litter of visual puppies. Three days later. And now I find myself in a quandary. I've made a deal, and the guy said it's a non-negotiable deposit. You put $200 down, it's not coming back to you. That's it. And, it's, and, and now I've found myself in a quandary. We really wanted Vigila, and now this guy has Vigila puppies. He's three hours up the line, and he said that I can have second pick of the whole litter. Oh, no. And so I found myself in a deal that I wanted to get out of. Has anyone found themselves in a deal that they wanted to get out of, they regret making? It's interesting that for me, some of the, the worst decisions that I've made for a deal's point of view has happened in, out of my impatience. We find ourselves in kind of the in-between of life, don't we? Whether it's the fulfillment of a promise or a desire to get somewhere or obtain something or achieve something, and in the in-between of, of where you are now and where that thing might happen, you compromise. You make a deal when you shouldn't make a deal and you end up settling for second best. And, and I don't know about you, but that's common because I can be a very impatient person. Let me tell you another story. Obviously, we've got the visual, right? So the guy let us, he let us say no to the GSP, and we said you can keep our deposit, and he ended up eventually refunding it because he sold the dog to someone else. All's well that ends well on the, on the dog front, people. But here's another one. Uh, we were in the, in the house hunting market, and we were absolutely certain that this house that we had put an offer on was going to be for us. And it got accepted, and it was a miraculous whole situation. God has spoken about this whole, and we thought, this is it. This is the house. And then we couldn't get the finance together. And we just were, and, and it fell apart on the last day, and someone else bought the house, and we were really frustrated because we thought that that was the one. We we're absolutely confident. Because when we looked, we looked at one house, and my dad, got, my dad in his quiet time said, Steve, I've been praying, and God has said to me that the house for you is down the road from the first house you looked at. And this house we put an offer on was down the road, on the same road from the house. And so it's like God's spoken. Not like God's given us like a ream of word through my dad, which is awesome. And so we're believing this is the thing. So we, we, and the deal fell apart. And we're like left in this kind of spiral of what the heck. And so we're now in a moment of desperate, like we feel it because we have to move out of the house we're in. It's going to get demolished. We've got a date. We've got five children. It's like, it's coming like a steam train. And so we see this house out in Maymorn. This house in Maymorn that was a three-bedroom home, 130 square meters. Do you know this? We've, we've got five kids. Like we're, we, we were taking our tape measure to this house with our dining room table and thinking, how could we actually fit the dining room table in? It's not going to fit, but that's okay. We'll just we'll figure it out. We're just desperate. And so we actually put an offer in this house that was not even right for us, completely ignoring the fact that God said the house for you is down the road from the first one you put an offer on. We've just kind of gone away from that whole promise of the Lord, and we're just like, oh, we've got to put it. And we're just so glad that that deal didn't come together. It didn't come together. Thankfully, they, they, they declined our offer. One week later, another house comes on the market down the road from the first one that was listed in God, you know, and then God put it together and we've moved in. Come on, we can give God some praise for that. Thank you, Jesus. But come on, sometimes the worst decisions we make are in the in-between out of impatience, right? You know, so often, often that's where the bad deals come through. We, make, we grow impatient and we make rash decisions. Well, did you know that we're making deals in our mind all the time? Do you know that you're making deals in your mind all the time? We're forming agreements with thoughts and patterns of thinking on a regular basis. We're saying we agree with that, yet we'll make a deal with that thought. That thought can come and, and take up space in my mind, move right on in thought, you know. Sign there, the room's yours, in my mind, come on in. Some of them are good deals. Some of them are not so good deals. Maybe we've placed our trust in the wrong kinds of thoughts. 
Because it's about placing trust. Remember I said that the, 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 part, the start of a deal, the start of an agreement is trust, right? The starting point is building trust. People don't deal with things they don't trust. And so maybe we've put our trust in wrong thoughts, in wrong thinking. Maybe we've entered into agreements with destructive and negative thoughts and we've just allowed those to become a part of our psyche, a part of our natural process, that that's just become a thought that is actually not true and maybe a lie, but stands to reason in your mind to be truth. Maybe this, maybe this thought, which is absolutely mistruth, becomes truth for you, and we've made a trust agreement with this thing. And so I'm just here to tell you today to tell you that it's time that we're going to break those deals, amen? Come on, we're going to exit that agreement. We're going to cancel that contract. I am so passionate about this this morning, and in a few moments I'll share you what this has been. This is personal for me, but come on, to win the war in your mind, we have to become deal breakers with certain thoughts, amen? And that's the message title this morning, it's Deal Breaker, Deal Breaker. And let me read you the scripture in Isaiah 26, verse 3. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the ESV. It says this, Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him, that is you and me, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I'm going to say it again. You keep him in perfect peace. Come on, who here doesn't want perfect peace? Who doesn't want to be right now mentally in a place of perfect peace? Well, that's, that, come on, that is, that is, a, that is an, a, a, an, attainable, an attainable position to be in. He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This word stayed, it's, it's a Hebrew word, sormak, and, and I, again, you know me, I love looking up the, 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 the root word, and, and when, when they wrote that in Hebrew, uh, and when Isaiah wrote that down, what was, what was he in meaning? Because we've translated it through to English to say stayed. But there, I love how it just sort of broadens and, and beautifies the, uh, the words here. And here's what, uh, what the concordance has to say about saw mark. It means to be propped up, to lean on, or leaning on, resting on, taking hold of, and set on. Can I read it to you using those words? I think I love this. You keep him, I'm going to let's personalize this this morning. You keep me in perfect peace when my mind is leaning on you. You keep me in perfect peace when my mind is resting on you. You keep me in perfect peace when my mind has taken hold of you. It's gripping to you. It's, it's clinging to you. You keep me in perfect peace when my mind is set on you. Set on you because he trusts you. When you make a deal, it starts with trust. Trust is that firm belief in the reality. Sorry, excuse me, I'll say that again. Firm belief in the reliability, the truth, or the ability of someone or something. Trust is the firm belief in the reliability, the truth, and the ability of someone or something. When you have that sort of trust, that reliability in the person of God, the purpose of God, the devotion and the love of God, your mind trusts Him. So no matter what circumstance you face yourself in, you are at peace. This is the hope of heaven for you and for me, that no matter what we face, we are at peace. Trusting God leads to peace of mind. Peace of mind. So let me give you a key thought this morning. Are you ready? Peace isn't the product of a positive outcome. Peace is the product of trusting God regardless of outcomes. Say that again. 
Peace is not the product of positive outcomes. In other words, you cannot just hold on to or have peace or be in a place of peace when things go well or when the outcome is how you want it to be or when it gets to that point. So therefore, when you're in the journey of the in-between, like I have been in those two examples I gave you, I can't be at peace. There was a moment in our house, sons, and I was not at peace. Yet God had already spoken. It was already promised. It had already been declared. If I was to trust him in that moment, we wouldn't have put an offer on that house in Maymorn. Trust would have stayed the course knowing you've spoken. It's down the road from the first house. It's so good. Uh, my dad, um, when that house fell over, he was a little bit also like, my dad's so good, right? He was like still in faith. He's like, God can come through. That, the, the people that bought it might, it might fall over and then they might come back to you. Or who knows how God can work, but God's spoken. And anyway, like that week just before, just before that house came on the market, the second one we actually bought, my dad said, Steve, I've spent quite time and God has confirmed again, the house for you is down the road from the first house you put an offer on. And then it came on the market the next day. Come on, we did not need to be out of peace. Our minds didn't need to be out of peace. I did not need to make a deal in agreement with negativity, panic, anxiety, or fear in that moment. I didn't have to make an agreement with those thoughts and then allow those thoughts and feelings to make me act on them and make maybe a poor decision for our family outside of the will of God. Are you hearing me this morning? So important and so important we understand that peace is the product of trusting God regardless of outcomes, regardless of outcomes. If we can take one thing away this morning, take that, that when you come to a place of of, of disquiet and when peace starts to evade you and when sleeplessness and anxiety and fear starts to grip you the point right now was not to see that the circumstance has changed or that you overcome it it's to understand that you need to get back to trust that something is warring and undermining and eroding your trust in God right now that you've allowed we're allowing circumstance to speak to us over and above the word of God and his, and his love for us and his come on we need to get we ought to see it as a trust issue deals start with trust and rapport, we want to make some good agreements in our mind this morning. Amen? All right, hey, listen to this. It says this in Matthew 22. This is Jesus speaking, and, and, and this is verses 36 to 38 of, of Matthew 22. He says this, Teacher, this is not Jesus speaking. This is someone asking Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, Come on, tell me. And all your, come on, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your, and all your, all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. So Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with heart, soul, and mind. My question is, how do you love God with your mind? Well, I believe Colossians 3 verse 2 helps us here. It says this in Colossians 3 verse 2, that we should set our minds on things above. We should set our minds to, that means that you're empowered, you make the decision, it's in your, the ball's in your court to what you set your mind on, what you fix your mind on, what you lean your mind on. If we go back to those, that word for stayed that we found, the, the, the saw market, to lean, to prop, to what we set our mind on is our choice. But the writer of Colossians, who happens to be Paul, says again, look at, you need to set your minds on things above, which... If I was to think about two ways we could do that, here's one. Look at the situation through God's perspective. Look at life. Look at life through God's perspective. Because I love the fact that God has never said, oops. I love the fact that God's not gone, oh, shoot, 
JC, we need to go to plan B on this one. You know, he's never, he's never had a moment where he doesn't understand and weaving it all together for his good pleasure and your good purpose. All things work together for those who are called according to Christ Jesus. All things work together for good. We just need to look through heaven's perspective. We need to fix our eyes on things above, not on our circumstances. Where you look is so critical in moments of trial and doubt. Where you're looking, where you're setting your, fixing your mind. What are you allowing to, to govern your, your view of the situation? Are you allowing heaven to speak into it? Or are you allowing the circumstances shout back at you? How we see it's so important. Let's get God's perspective, heaven's perspective in the situation. And number two, let's seek after what he desires. If we want to fix our mind on things above, why don't we seek after what he desires? And I love the fact that you can set your mind. I, just, I love the fact we're empowered. I, we're, not, we're, we're fully empowered by God. I love that God gave dominion, right? I'm not trying to solve the big theological question of why does evil happen and why do bad things happen to good people and all that. But I will say this, that God gave dominion. He gave power and authority to, for us to look after the, the, the earth and all that it contains in one another. He gave us the authority. He handed dominion to us and what we have done with it is our responsibility. The evil has come out of a mishandling of the dominion given to us. But we, we can't then start to point the finger back at God when he says, I've given you dominion. I'm not taking the authority back. I've given it to you. And I'm going to teach you how you ought to handle this. But if we handle it poorly and allow evil in, and that's a very brief kind of overview, but I'm just saying that we're empowered. We're empowered. You can set your mind. You can fix your mind. You can angle it. You can aim it. You can choose your thoughts. So we started at the very top saying that you gave space, you rented space. And I remember this UFC fighter, a mixed martial artist, and he was coming up for a big fight. And the guy that he was coming up for a big fight was a real trash talker, like tried to do the mind games, tried to get under his skin. And so the interviewer was like, you know, is it getting under your skin? Are you bothered by this? Is it affecting you? And he says, I don't let it rent space in my mind. I just don't give it space. It doesn't rent space in my mind. I love that saying, don't let it rent space in your mind. You have the ability to set your mind on whatever. So people, when we go to negativity, the crazy thing is we, 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 we can choose it. We can choose it. Right? And this is what I said at the beginning. We can start making deals and handshakes with thoughts that we shouldn't be. Right? If we're not careful, the outcome of that thought becomes the way it governs our life and we take steps in the wrong direction or worse. You can set your mind. You can set your mind. Listen to this, Romans 8, verses 5 to 6. And this is, again, from the ESV, Romans 8, 5 to 6. For those who live according to their, the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We're coming back to the verse in Isaiah, aren't we? That first verse, yes, I grew up in America, so I say Isaiah. Sometimes I remind myself it's Isaiah. I'm in New Zealand. Isaiah, 26 verse 3. I have a nephew, Isaiah, and every now and then I say Isaiah. I always get a weird look from that kid. He's a cool kid. Um, 
Let's go back to the verse. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. I love to set the mind on the spirit as life and peace. We've got a Old Testament, New Testament uh, truth getting just, just, it doesn't stop. The truth of God and trusting in him goes right through the cross. And here we have the same thing getting brought to the, to the table. That as we trust in God, as we trust in his purpose and his provision and his passion for us, as we trust in the character and the nature and the divinity of God, our minds go transported to a place of peace. Isn't that so good? If we set our mind on the Spirit, the outcome is life and peace. And so whatever wars at life and whatever wars at peace, the deal must be broken. The deal must be broken. So that leads me to my final point around agreements. And I'm just going to look at Michael and give him a wink or a nod or find something that's, you know, yeah, he knows. So good. I miss Troy when he's not here and on the keys. Don't we miss Troy? He's not here on the keys. Love you, man. Uh, but thanks, Michael. We're going to put something up there. I'm going to read you a, a, a block of scripture, uh, and then I'm going to tell you my own personal journey around agreements uh, of the mind, and, uh, and then we're going to close this thing out. But let me read to you this, uh, this passage of scripture in Matthew 16, verses 15 to 23. This is Jesus interacting with his disciples. He's asking them, who do you say I am? Peter has a great moment and then a bad moment. Let's read it. It says this. He said to them, this is Jesus, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Flesh has not brought this to bear in your mind. It is not by your flesh that you have come to this conclusion as we just read, it was not wrought from the mind of the flesh. It was wrought from somewhere else. He says, my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Just again, quite an interesting way about going about it. But Jesus knows what he's up to. But I'm just saying that right now, Peter's having an amazing moment, isn't he? He's connected with the Spirit. Heaven is speaking directly into his heart. And the truth of heaven is coming through from his, out of his mouth. And the declaration of truth, Jesus, you are the Son of God. In that moment, the declaration of a man that was born of a woman standing before them flesh and blood that bled just like them, got hungry just like them, got tired just like them. It's a massive step of faith to be able to speak to a person and say, you are the son of God. With all conviction and belief and sincerity in your heart. That's a massive moment of faith. We can have chronological snobbery people where we look back because we know the outcome. We know that Jesus made that cross and resurrection and salvation, the Holy Spirit. But in that moment, Peter, wow, what a moment of faith wasn't it? Wasn't it a crazy moment of faith? You are God. Saying to another human being, you are God. Which is true. He has a moment and on that revelation, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on that revelation. But then as we carry through, not even a breath is taken, it feels, and then the next thing happens. Let's pick up the story here. 
This is verse 21. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the plan of heaven. This is the plan of my Father, that I might become the lamb that was slain to take away the sins of the world. This is my plan, that I'm going to be victorious not by a, 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 an army, not by victory through, through military might, but by laying down my life for the love of, uh, of, of for you and for me. This is Jesus starts to tell this is what's going to happen. And then Peter took him aside. Listen to this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the same person that in one breath nailed it from heaven, and then the next breath, is actually being rebuked so powerfully and so strongly by Jesus. Isn't this crazy? Isn't this crazy? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, he says. He looks through Peter. He looks through Peter to the, to the origin of that statement and says, no, that is a lie. That is from flesh. That is not from heaven. Peter in that moment flicked from his mind being in heaven to his mind being in the flesh, and Jesus rebuked him so strongly. I'm just saying it's just so easy. I don't know, I'm not hard on Peter. Can anyone relate? I can relate. I can be in a moment of, of worship, and, and then all of a sudden my thoughts can, I can be in a moment of prayer, and all of a sudden my thoughts, have, have you ever been in that church, I'm just going to pray, and then your mind just becomes this like war and battlefield, and you, I'm thinking about what I've got to do tomorrow, and it's like, what's going on? So there are forces at work against the purpose of God in your life. There are forces at work against Jesus and his plans to redeem mankind. To be the second Adam that never sinned, that was a spotless sacrifice for you and for me. And in that moment, through a thought that was spoken, and Jesus acknowledged the origin of that thought and rebuked the person behind the thought. I just want to say that we are in a battle. I just want to remind us that this is not just about you and what you think. As we said in the very first message of this message series, there is three places the thought can originate from. It can originate from heaven. It can originate from you. And it can originate from spiritual forces of wickedness coming against you. I know this because Jesus had that battle. In this moment, Peter had that battle. Peter, just after the declaration, I know I'm repeating myself, but just after the declaration from heaven was declaring from hell. The same mouth, three verses apart. I want to remind you of what we read last week, uh, in the first week, around the fact that we're in a battle. For the weapons of our warfare, so this is Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. I'm going to tell you my story. 
I think it was 2014, end of 2014. And I was in, I was, I had my quiet time, you know, in that morning time and I was up. This time we had friends staying with us, so they were in our lounge. I normally would go to the lounge, so instead I like, I'll get up and I'll go to the garage. So I have my quiet time in the garage. <laughs> Don't want to miss it. And, um, and so it was, it was winter time, so I set the heater up in there, an oil heater, and took the coffee machine out there because it's coffee and Jesus, baby. Come on. And uh, that setting's important because of how, it, how this unfolds. Uh, it's not trivial. It's not a trivial part of the, of the story. And I was in prayer. God, God speaks to me. Uh, obviously, he was speaking so many different ways, right? Speaks through his word. Uh, for me, he'll speak to me in visions. I'll see them like movies playing out before my eyes, often very personal. And uh, I was praying and I, I just, I, I had had an, I'd had an encounter the week before where I was fearful to talk to someone about, about my call and about shifting down here and this is all transpiring around this time and there was a fear in me to talk to someone about it. And so my friend said, do you want me to make the call for you? And so he made the call for me. And I was asking, and in my quiet time, I was asking God, why was I fearful to make that call myself? The Holy Spirit just said, because you're fearful of rejection. You're fearful of rejection. And what I realized that was that I had made an agreement with the spirit of rejection. Because these things are spirits, people. It's not, a, it's not a popular thing to talk about. But there are things at war with us. And I made an agreement through believing some things that had happened in my life that I might be rejected. And so I do the preemptive strike. Has anyone done the preemptive strike? I'm not going to do that. Or I'm going to reject before I'm rejected. Or I'm not going to, you know, so I was doing this. And the Holy Spirit just said, do you want to be delivered? From this thing. I'm like, yes, I do. A bit more of the story. It's heavily raining and I'm in a skyline garage. So if anyone been in a skyline garage, it's basically like a tin shed, and it was raining like cats and dogs. It was heavy. So I had this like of rain just belting down, which was quite nice. Because in that moment of like, yes, I wanted to be delivered, the Holy Spirit came on me like a weight. A weight. I was bearing under the weight of the Holy Spirit. And all I could do was groan. I was groaning utterances like that, like under the weight of the Holy Spirit because he was going to work on this thing that had tried to take hold of and hang on to my life and onto my world. And so the, it's barreling down and I'm making these groanings and I'm grateful for the barreling down rain because there are people sleeping in the house at 5.30 in the morning. I'm so glad I'm like, what's that noise coming from the garage? God's so good, isn't he? He took me out of the house. He created, he set this whole thing up. He put me in a place where he could go to work on me and do, and do honestly, do a deliverance session with me. And that is not it. Come on. We know that God wants to deliver us. Amen. He did a deliverance session with me in my garage. He removed rejection. I felt this thing just be taken off me. This thing that was trying to crush me, that was trying to hold on to me, try to, try to change the way I see and change the way I act. And in that moment, and, and as this, this pressure of the Holy Spirit weighed down, and it's just like, 
I felt this thing just lift off me. And in that moment, the rain stopped. And I, and I said, thank you, Jesus, you've delivered me. And because the rain had stopped and I spoken out loud, all these rats that were in my skyline garage just like scurried out. The, like, they, 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 were just like, they just scurried down. It was, like, it was a crazy moment. I said, thank you, I've been delivered. And like, these rats just like took off. It was just like a crazy, crazy moment. And I know that's kind of weird and out the gate. I'm sorry if that's kind of unusual and, and maybe I shouldn't wade into these, these, these places, but come on. I, I, Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus came and he delivered people. The man that, the man that had the, the, the legion of demons, you know what it says about him? When he delivered him, when they went back, he was sitting in, in his right mind. He was sitting in his right mind. When God brings freedom and when God delivers, he sets our mind back. He, he, he takes away the things that are warring against our mind. And so I'm so grateful that in that moment I was delivered from that thing. And uh, come on, I just believe that God's in the business of setting people free. Amen? Come on, God's in the business of setting people free. And so come on, it's time to become a deal breaker. It's time to, to, to let the hindering and destructive and negative thoughts be broken, to, to allow the, uh, the agreement that we once had to be broken. And this is what I learned in that moment, because what I was able to say is I break my agreement with a spirit of rejection. That's what I said. I wrote it down in my journal and I spoke it out loud and the Holy Spirit came and did His work. I'm not saying that words are some miraculous thing. Words are powerful. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying it's not a mantra. But it's, it's when you align your heart with the words and bring truth and submission to the Holy Spirit, He starts to go to work. You know, when we give Him permission, when we start to break an agreement with the enemy, uh, second, uh, uh, Corinthians says that we have the power to capture and destroy, to bring every thought captive that, that stands against Jesus Christ. We have the power and the authority to do work with that thing and to, beat, to break it and to break its effect and to move through victorious to a place of peace, amen? And so I'm so passionate about this. I wanna encourage you. Here it is. This is your pragmatic takeaway thing. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to identify and then break the agreement. Come on, we need to be deal breakers. Whatever that thing is that plagues you, whatever that thought is that tries to hold you back, whatever that thing is that comes to take, take ground from your life, I break my agreement with that thing. You have the power. It only has the authority that we give it. Come on, children of God. All power has been given to us by God. We have the authority to stand on snakes and scorpions, to put those things under our feet and to say, we are not allowing it anymore. I break my agreement with you. Isn't that so important?